0: Thank you, Rebecca and Kyle. Appreciate that. It's good to see everybody here today. It looks like we have a few more than we had last week. We had uh, quite a few people out, although we had a lot of visitors last week. I do see Mr. McNair here. It's a shame that you let down the folks up in Asheville. Uh, I think he did have a substitute. I can't remember who it was, but he was uh, under the weather, so he had a substitute. So somebody is up in Asheville. I thought I'd take a few minutes to update you a little bit on the trip that I just got through with. Uh, It was a rather extensive trip left on the 5th of February and got back on the 28th of February. I left on a Wednesday evening uh, to go to Canada to record four telecasts for Canadian content, which is very important uh, for the work up there. It allows us to have uh, television at better times, on better stations, at a better cost. And so having dual citizenship, that's very helpful. I was met there by Mr. Wachowicz, our regional director. He flies to Mississauga on a fairly regular basis, about once a, a month uh, for a week or ten days. He lives in Edmonton, so he takes that trip. It's uh, three or four hours of flying out there Uh, a couple times, uh, or once a month, approximately. Uh, He'll be coming down here. He puts a lot of miles on, uh, to say the least. I did record a program on Thursday, another one on Friday. Gave a couple sermons on the Sabbath to two different congregations. And then on Monday, I had uh, two sermons, not two sermons, but two telecasts to record. And thankfully, they went uh, better than, than normal for me. Uh, because then I had to leave that evening, I think around 10 o'clock that night, to fly to Manila, which is about 16 hours uh, nonstop. Uh, arriving in Manila, I thought that this should be pretty easy because uh, it was 4.20 a.m. and it shouldn't be too crowded, but <clears throat> instead uh, there were about 1,500 people uh, trying to go through customs at the same time, trying to figure out which line to be in. Uh, Some made the mistake of being in the wrong line, which would not be hard to uh, understand. I had to ask several times somebody to make sure I was in the right line, otherwise it's back of the line. But it took about an hour and 20 minutes to get through customs, and Mr. Gonzalez was there uh, faithfully to uh, meet me. Uh, We went to the hotel where Mr. Tyler had already checked in, and uh, that evening had uh, a little bit of a relaxing evening trying to recover a bit from that. Uh, from the travels. That was uh, on Wednesday, left on Monday night, got there on Wednesday morning. And then Thursday and Friday, we had a conference, a leaders' conference for all the ministers in the Philippines. It was very good to meet some of the people whose names I'd heard of for, in some cases, decades and never met in person. But we had a very uh, warm and, and friendly conference there on Thursday and Friday. Uh, TWP on the Sabbath and then that evening we had uh, Pollock meal and entertainment from the, the locals there a lot of uh, traditional dancing and so forth the next morning uh, on uh, Sunday morning I flew to was it Sunday morning or Sunday evening Sunday morning I guess it was flew to Thailand and uh, Mr. Uh, Tyler flew there with me And we spent Monday touring some of the sites there in Bangkok. Uh, It's amazing how elaborate the architecture is and how many various forms of Buddha you can see, Uh, all uh, gold-colored, sometimes painted, sometimes actual gold leaf, which people then sometimes chip off. But we had several of us there, and we did tour several places in Bangkok and went to a uh, a conference, not a conference, but a play that evening. They claim to have the tallest stage in the world, and I do believe it, as well as just one of the largest stages, the, probably the largest stage I've ever seen. Very fine performance, but it is amazing how in the worship of their God, they really go all out in so many ways. And so it was. Uh, it's a totally different world over there than it is that we're used to when you see statues of, of Buddha everywhere. In one particular place at the palace, uh, they have the uh, Buddha. They have uh, uh, changed garments three times a year. They have three seasons they consider over there, and they change the garment. The king of uh, Thailand, who is now living in Germany, uh, comes back about three times a year so that he can change the garment Uh, which is made of gold, and one of them uh, worth a million dollars, literally, in gold, and just uh, changed the the Buddha because the Buddha can't change his own garment, Uh, rather uh, incapable of that. Uh, We then flew up to Mysat in uh, northern uh, Thailand there, and Mr. Uh, Tuala Bey, who is a relative of uh, uh, Saleh Bey, a name that, Some of us, going back to worldwide days, have heard of for decades. Uh, He died some years ago, but uh, Tua is a relative of his, and he is watching over our uh, work there in Thailand. We do have members in uh, Thailand, uh, met a number of them. Uh, They were at the office of the Living Church of God Foundation. Uh, In some of these parts of the world, it's easier to be registered as a foundation uh then as a church it takes a little bit more owning a building owning a lot of things to to be able to uh <clears throat> to be able to register that way so we have the living church of god foundation and involved with that is uh, helping out doing good works which we certainly are always anxious to be able to do and so we had a couple students from australia earlier that went there for a couple months, and they taught English in one of the elementary schools there, school of about 600 uh, students, and they're taught English in their school, but they do not have native English-speaking teachers, and so they enjoy having uh, others come in who are native-speaking English uh, people who can then have the right accent and be able to teach some of the nuances of the language that their own teachers may not be able to do. So we, we toured the office, met some of the members there, and then went to one of the schools where we uh, sat down with a number of individuals, including the, the acting principal at this time, a uh, very uh, well spoken uh, woman there, and we. Uh, talked about what we're doing and what they're looking for, and then a principal from another school, a junior high and high school, came over, and we met with her, and then she invited us over to the high school, and so we went there. Uh, We do have a plan for a couple students to be able to go over there this summer for two months, a couple of our living education students, uh, Kyle and Sarah, whether they'll be able to do that, I don't know because of the Uh, coronavirus, and they've already let us know that they understand that it may not be best to have somebody traveling there. So that remains up in the air right at the moment. But the idea is to have some of our students and perhaps other members from time to time in a very small way, just a couple students, couple people, be able to go over there and help out. So it does provide an opening for us to Uh, have the church there, and also gives uh, young people, most of the time it would be young people, but others, the opportunity to learn a little bit about the culture over there and to see a different part of the world. And it's a wonderful opportunity for us as well as it is for them. And they seem very appreciative of what the foundation could do for them. In the meantime, we do service the individuals who are in the church there, and we're talking about ways to grow the church uh, as much as possible. We had a number of members come over from Burma or Myanmar, uh, Burmese individuals, and one of them was Thomas Ho. That's a name that I'd heard of for decades, and he was so enthusiastic and uh, told me, I don't know how many times, how appreciative he was of being able to meet the presiding evangelist. He would have been, you know, very excited to meet Dr. Meredith or Mr. Armstrong, but first time that he'd been able to meet a presiding evangelist of the church. And yet I told him, I said, I knew of you before you ever heard of my name. Uh, he's been around a long time. And here he is, an 80-year-old man, that uh, you would think, uh, okay, at 80 years of age, how, much, how enthusiastic might he be? And we had a leadership conference there for eight Asian nations. And he got up and he spoke and told us a little bit about his area and so forth. And he said that there were uh, some of the ministers in his area that were getting on him about being Jewish. And being Old Covenant, and you believe in Jewish holy days and these laws of clean and unclean meats and everything, you're Old Covenant. And he said, he replied to them, Jesus was a Jew. Peter was a Jew. Paul was a Jew. They kept these days. They observed these laws. I follow Jesus. Who do you follow? The Pope. And uh, that's about the way he said it. Now that was in English, I can only imagine what he said in his own language, how it would have come across. But uh, you talk about fire in his belly, Uh, Here, here's this 80-year-old man and he has fire in his belly and uh, it was so uh, interesting to hear him express himself in that way. You know, he took a 19-hour bus ride plus other uh, travel to get there to the conference. And so did the other ministers and elders and, and individuals and leaders uh, from from Burma. And uh, so his trip was a, certainly an arduous one, especially at that age. But it was so exciting to meet uh, Thomas Teal Ho after decades of hearing that name. We had a, a Bible study as well as the uh, the I was there for the beginning of the conference, wasn't able to stay for the whole thing. But uh, it was a very uh, exciting time to be able to see those individuals, old and young alike, uh, that are members of the church that are there. Uh, from there, I, I flew from Mysat down to uh, Bangkok, uh, over about five hours, and then on to Singapore, and two-hour layover and a 10-hour flight to Johannesburg. So that was a, a very long day. In South Africa, I asked that I be able to see as many of the members as possible. Uh, They accommodated that. Uh, We had (coughs) uh, Sabbath services in Johannesburg on the Sabbath. That was the day after I arrived there. And then a Tomorrow's World presentation uh, the next day. Flew down to Cape Town and had that uh, Tomorrow's World presentation on, on Sunday. And then we had Bible studies in Port Elizabeth and Lesotho. Now, Lesotho is a separate country. I did not realize that. I knew it was a separate entity, but I thought it was just a part of South Africa. It's surrounded by South Africa, but you need a passport. uh, You need to to go in. And and by the way, uh, virtually every place we went, there was somebody with a gun to your head. And they were wearing masks. And, uh, you know, they were worried about the coronavirus, about half the people. You came across to, until I got to South Africa. They didn't see too many masks, but they have a little gun to check your temperature. And even going into Lesotho, they checked our temperature. Uh, coming to South Africa, uh, you couldn't even get off the plane. Nobody could get off the plane till they checked and made sure that nobody on the plane was uh, had a temperature. And I'm not sure what they would have done if that had been the case. You couldn't even get on the plane if you'd been to China. Uh, within the last 14 days. But they're taking it very seriously over there. But it was a relief to get to South Africa, really, because uh, you just felt like you weren't in this mass of humanity, all wearing masks and shooting you with a gun all the time. Uh, so it was, uh, was good to be there. I loved going to Lesotho. It was was interesting because when we went up to customs, there were a couple ladies there, and Mr. Botha immediately got into a conversation with one of them. I didn't know exactly what it was about. He told me it before, but I didn't sink in. But he, he asked her if she'd been reading the book. And the book that he was talking about was the Bible. Because the last time he had come into Lesotho, Uh, he was asked uh, if he had anything that he was leaving behind I guess and he mentioned some Bibles and and uh, this lady asked if she could have one and so she had to actually go out to his car where he gave her a Bible so he was asking her if she'd read the Bible and there was a very lively uh, friendly uh, smiling exchange between the two of them which certainly would not hurt our ability to get into the country uh, if something came up but nevertheless uh, it was interesting to see that, and she was uh, very, very friendly toward Mr. Botha. One of the ladies that we met there in Lesotho, where the congregation, small congregation, about 15 people or so, uh, was 92 years of age. And if I understand the story correctly, her husband was the uh, the king of, of the, that uh, area or some other area at one time, um, perhaps Mr. McNair. Knows a little bit more of that, or somebody else from South Africa, or that has been to South Africa, could fill that in. But it was very nice to see her. They had uh, served a, a wonderful meal for us, and uh, we were able to leave after dark there. And kind of, uh, it's a very difficult <clears throat> place to travel in some respects because it's narrow roads and people on the roads. And a lot of people in that part of the world are killed as pedestrians because they. Don't walk on the side of the road facing traffic. They walk with it, and the lights of other cars can blind you. So Mr. Botha is very capable in that area, but certainly needs our prayers, he and all the others that work in that part of the world. Flew from there down to – can't remember where I flew to, but I was in Port Elizabeth. That was another Bible study that we had there. So we had a couple of Bible studies uh, while I was in town, and the uh, Sabbath services in Joburg and uh, Pretoria, uh, where they had a, a bry, bra- never can not pronounce it right, but anyway, it's a, it's a barbecue, and they have three kinds of meat and so forth, but it was very, very enjoyable uh, being there all the way through. Flew back to Atlanta, that was another 16-hour flight, and then layover and then flying back here. But it turned out it wasn't too bad. The seats were a little bit further apart than normal. And I thought I was going to be able to lay down because I had uh, one of those rows where there were three seats and nobody else was there. But in front of me there was a couple, and then there was a single uh, lady that uh, wanted to uh, move, and so she asked if she could sit there by the window, and so she did. so. It was not as uh, comfortable, but I watched several movies. I was too tired to really work, but it turned out to be uh, very, very good. And I, I do appreciate all the prayers of, of God's people. Uh, every place I went, people were saying they were praying for me, and I know that's true, and I certainly do appreciate it because I have been on trips overseas where I did not stay as healthy as this time, but God was really uh, with me in, in every way. I did miss one flight because of a mix-up, they changed the time, but I was able to catch it 25 minutes later, and that was the day I was flying to Cape Town for the tomorrow's world presentation, so I was happy that I was able to get one that was only 25 minutes later. The warmth and the support of all our people in these areas is very heartwarming. Uh, They wanted to say hello to all of you. Uh, they are fully supportive of the work that we're doing here and all the members uh, they're just very warm very uh, uh, supportive in every way the dedication of our ministry is is amazing uh, some of these men travel in that part of the world long distances mr. Tyler uh, has to travel up to uh, to India to, to Thailand to, uh, to Thailand over to uh, um, uh, Malaysia and other places, and they, they just spend a lot of time traveling in areas that are not quite as as um, easy to travel in as what you and I uh, are able to travel in most of the time and the The kind of travel that I did was really the type of thing that dr Weneo does he 's been that around the world several times, and uh, We have uh, Mr. Hernandez traveling all through Central and South America over to France from time to time. We have Mr. Peter Nathan, who travels from Britain all the way down to the tip of uh, South Africa from time to time, as well as other places in Africa. Mr. Reese Ellis does a lot of travel in Africa. So uh, these men do this all the time. This was a little bit unusual for me to be able to take such an extensive trip. But they take these long trips from time to time and pretty regularly. So they certainly do need our prayers, and I hope that we will remember them in our prayers. Uh, There was a, a theme that I used in most of the Bible studies that I gave while on this trip. It's a theme that evolved based on a comment someone made and based on a book that I read three and a half decades ago. And, of course, based on the Bible. And it involves how technology changes our way of thinking and acting and how we need to be circumspect about such changes. In other words, there's a lot that is happening in our world that is changing you and me in ways that we would never think of. But it is changing us. It's changing our behavior. It's changing how we actually think. Let's notice in Daniel, the 12th chapter, a very familiar passage. We've read this many, many times on the telecast and sermons, but just want to refer to it uh, because it's relevant for our day today. In verse 4, Daniel 12, verse 4, "...but you, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end." So it's talking about our day today, and it says many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. When you see all the people flying back and forth and all around the world, yes, many are running to and fro, maybe not as many today at the moment. Because of this uh, virus, but nevertheless, many are going to and fro. But knowledge shall increase. We have never seen such a knowledge explosion in all the history of mankind. And we're talking about artificial intelligence and all the stuff that goes on. Knowledge truly is increasing at an ever-increasing rate, exponentially. And yet, in the book of Hosea just a few pages over. in the book of Hosea, the next book after Daniel. And the fourth chapter, in verse 6, it says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. So how do we square the two? Knowledge is increasing, but God, through Hosea, says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Well, it goes on to say, because you have rejected knowledge, notice it says you have rejected knowledge. The knowledge is there, but you've rejected it. I also will reject you from being priest for me. Because you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. Now, that's the world in which we live. God is truly forgetting our children, our children that are growing up now. I don't mean your children, hopefully. But young people that are growing up today are lost when it comes to truth. How else can we explain the socialist agenda in our country that is being swallowed by some 60% of millennials? It's hard, hard to comprehend how you can have a candidate for president in this country who is praising Venezuela and Cuba... In other communist places around the world, when we look at what's happened in those places, in Venezuela they've lost what is it, a quarter of their weight. I think it is. It's either 25 pounds or 25 percent of their weight for lack of food or lack of the ability to buy food. That was some months ago. I don't know where they are today. But we see this this uh, ignorance of of history of what's happening in the world. And yet people are buying into this sort of thing. I'm not trying to be political. This is just a fact that this agenda that has been tried in Cuba and in uh, the Soviet Union in China, China's prospering because they got rid of that economic plan. You know, it's, it's amazing how things are changing in the world and how young people really don't understand. But the point is that they are they are rejecting the true knowledge of God, but not just the knowledge of God, but knowledge of history in general, as we shall see. And because they've rejected knowledge, God says He's going to reject them. That's sad, because young people are being manipulated by leftist professors in our culture and society, that really want a very different world from the world that you and I grew up in. And they're pushing this agenda of same-sex marriage, of course, I mean, that's almost passe now, but of transgenderism and all the other uh, things. And by the way, there's a good commentary by uh, Mr. Davy Crockett that just came out, I think, today. And he talks about this a little bit, very strong commentary. We don't know what kind of pushback we'll get, but It's very interesting that he's uh, written that and it's published uh, for this weekend. But we we see that they have rejected knowledge. I was just reading in a book uh, by Bill Bryson uh, on uh, the human body, and it's talking about blood and the red blood cells, the white blood cells, the platelets, and how the platelets are, uh, it was only in I think in this uh, past century that they understood what they were for what the purpose of them was and they have to do with blood clotting and as Michael Behe points out in his book on subject, the subject that the body has to protect itself it has to clot when something happens you get caught if it didn't clot you would bleed to death but at the same time if it doesn't stop the clotting at a certain point your whole body just turned into gel you die And and Bryson says, very interestingly, just very quick statement, he said there are 12, at least 12, I think is the way he says it, uh, checks or uh, what's the word that he uses, uh, 12 uh, safeguards involved in the clotting system. Now, how did that evolve? We have come to a place where we can see what happens within the cell. We can see the marvels of life itself, and that knowledge is being rejected and being substituted with the power of evolution. It's such a powerful thing, evolution. Over in Romans, the first chapter, again, a very familiar scripture. In verse 18, it says, for the wrath of God... Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And that's what we see today. We see a lot of knowledge out there, but we see a suppression of the truth, whether it be moral truth or just truths that are inconvenient for this leftist agenda that we see in our modern world. We see the pro-life movement being squelched, but we see a promotion of the idea of abortion. It's there everywhere. Over in Isaiah, the 59th chapter, Isaiah 59, I know that sometimes people think, well, this is sounding political. This is is a moral issue, whether it be abortion, whether it be same-sex marriage, whether it be transgenderism, and a whole lot of other things. These are moral issues, and these are being squelched and rejected, and other ideas are being substituted uh, in their favor, or in favor of these behaviors that are contrary to the law of God. And verse 13, Isaiah 59, verse 13, says, "...and transgressing and lying against the eternal..." Yes, they lie. "...and departing from God, speaking oppression and revolt..." Conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood. Notice, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood. They conceive these things. They think these things up. We hear about fake news. And fake news goes across all political barriers or sides of things. But we hear these things, and these, these are conceived. These are thought up. These are things that that they think of, and then they utter them from the heart. Words of falsehood. Justice is turned back, and righteousness stands afar off. If you want to know what justice is and how it's been turned back, just ask Jack Phillips, the fellow that makes cakes in Colorado. Yes, he's won eventually after about seven years of persecution, but at what cost? Was there any real justice in that? And there are others that have experienced that. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands afar off. For truth is fallen in the street and equity cannot enter. So truth fails and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. We see that happening in our world. Over in Jeremiah. Just a few pages over again. Jeremiah the fourth chapter and verse 22 describes our world today. He says, For my people are foolish. Jeremiah 4.22 My people are foolish. They have not known me. They are silly children. And they have no understanding. They are wise to do evil, but to do good they have no knowledge. Now why is it that they are silly children? Why is it that they have no understanding? And they're wise to do evil, but to do good they don't know. I read a book about 35 years ago by uh, Neil Postman. It was titled "Amusing Ourselves to Death: Public Discourse in the Age of Show Business." And in the book, it's the first 40 pages are tough. At least they were tough for me. It might not be tough for you, okay? But they were tough for me to read the first 40 pages because I really did. He used vocabulary I wasn't used to hearing, and After you get through that, it becomes interesting. And one of the most influential books that I've personally read. It's not a long book. It's a pretty short read in one sense. But you just have to stick with it for a bit. But he starts out by talking about how we judge knowledge and intelligence. And he uses the example, as I recall, of Solomon over in 1 Kings, the fourth chapter. I don't think he actually turned to the Scriptures but he did refer to this in a general sense. First Kings 4 and verse 29, it says, And God gave Solomon wisdom and exceedingly great understanding and largeness of heart like the sand on the seashore. Thus Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the men of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all men, than Ethan the Ezraite and Heman, uh, and another uh, couple individuals, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. Now, how was he described as being intelligent? And obviously, his intelligence went beyond this. But as Postman was pointing out, that a person who knew a lot of Proverbs at one time was considered a very intelligent person. Uh, you, you kind of see that a little bit with uh, Confucius. A lot of Proverbs. He was considered a wise man. He had a lot of Proverbs and aphorisms and so forth. It says, uh, He spoke 3,000 Proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. But he also spoke of trees from cedar trees and animals and birds and creeping things and fish. He had a, a, a wide uh, scope of knowledge about a whole lot of things. But the point the Postman was making... It's not so much just about Solomon, but there was a time when there was not as much writing or was not as readily available. And so if you were able to quote Proverbs, that you were considered to be an intelligent person. And he traced it down through history to a more modern time when you were considered intelligent if you could read and write. Now, a person who could not read or write was not considered all that intelligent, but There are people that couldn't read and write, but they could do a lot of things in a physical way that someone who could read and write would not be able to do. So you could be able to read and write and be dumb as a bag of rocks in some ways when it comes to practical things. But that's the way that we evaluate intelligence. Now, coming down to our age, he brought it down to the telegraph, because when the telegraph came in, we could find out what was happening way over there, From here we could find out that, you know, Mrs. McGillicuddy's cat died in a fire. And who cares? But, we, we learn those things. We can find out about those things. They're, they're there. And so the Telegraph brought news from far to, you know, think about things that we really, they have no effect on our life at all. Now, This brought us, as he brought out, to the age of trivial pursuit. Where when you have a man who's on Jeopardy, as an example, who wins 26 times in a row, we think he's intelligent. Now, he's good at pressing the buzzer at the right time, and he has a lot of of facts about a lot of different things. But what does he know in the context of everything? What does he know about the context of things? We had the game, Trivial Pursuit. And people who were good at Trivial Pursuit were thought of as being intelligent. Well, that person's smart. You might say it that way. He's smart. He knows all these little facts about a lot of things that have no connection necessarily. We have newer means of communication that make it possible that we can sit in, say, Charlotte right here. We can read an electronic version of, uh, of a London newspaper about a fire in Australia. So we read it here, but it comes from London, but it's about something that happens on the other side of the world. We, the accuracy of which may be questioned by those who are closer to the, the scene. It may be correct, it may not be correct. But how are we going to know for sure? As we sit here, we read those things. Now, just as the telegraph changed our world, so have other technologies radically changed who we are and how we think and without realizing it. I'll bring some of these threads together here in a minute. But let me give you an example. My wife and I were driving from Wisconsin Dells after a, a Bible study or Sabbath service, I guess it was, on time down to Dubuque, Iowa. And we cut across country, and we were getting, I don't know, 50 miles out or so. We had a uh, Bible study later that uh, the, the next day, and so I thought, well, maybe we'd better check in, see if we can find a motel. So I stopped at this hotel, and uh, they were full. So I drove a little further, and there was another hotel, and they were full. And we began to realize there was something going on here, and asked a few questions, and I don't know if it was a prom night or something, but it was some big event. And as we we're basically told, the hotels for miles around were taken up. And so we drove by a bed and breakfast place. And I'm getting a little bit desperate at this time. We've got to find a place to stay. And so I, I knocked on the door or rung the doorbell, and this fellow came to the door. He had a beard and. And I said, uh, two questions. Do you have a room and how much? Wasn't really no hello or anything like that. And he was kind of taken back. And he he said, well, he said, uh, no, we don't have any room. And uh, the price, he gave me the price. He said, but would you like to come and look at the place? Well, I felt kind of bad because I had been a little bit abrupt with him. So I thought, okay, I'll, I'll go in and he'll show me a room and that'll be it. So I went in and he started talking and priest and I said, well, I've got to go. My wife's out in the car. And he said, oh, we'll bring her in. Well, so I did. I went and got her and we came in. And he ushered us into this room and he flipped the lights on. That was key. He flipped the lights on. Because before we could sit down, he began to explain that these lights were very special lights. They were very old. And you could not replace them. You could have them repaired, but you had to send them off to some place where they would repair them or refurbish them and that 's why he rarely turned these lights on in other words i 'm turning this on for a special occasion. Now, how do you leave at that point? So he invited us to sit down and we sat down and we talked and you know it was one of the, the one of the most interesting conversations. It was. We stayed there a good hour. We didn't find a place to stay until about fifty miles on the other side of Dubuque. But we we uh, did find a place eventually late at night, one o'clock in the morning or something. But it was an interesting conversation. And he was talking about how our world has changed, and how the owner of this house, who was a uh, cabinet member in one of the president's, uh, I don't remember which one, uh, president's cabinet. Always had time for people. Because you see, they used to sit out on the porch in the cool of the day in the summer. And neighbors would come by and they would talk. And that was something that our world was losing. And we, we discussed a number of things, and he pointed out two things that are so obvious to all of us if we think about it. And that is, two things changed. Two things took us off the front porch and being neighborly in that way. One was air conditioning and the other was television. And so instead of sitting out on the porch where we can visit with our neighbors as they walk down the street, invite them up there for a cold drink, we closet ourselves in our homes with our televisions with nice air conditioning in the summer or heating in the winter, whatever it might be. But those two inventions changed who we are. They really did. And now, does that mean that it's all evil? Well, we can we can, we can talk about that. I suppose we could debate that all day long. But that is a change that has taken place. Let me give another example. I was listening, so I was driving up to the summer camp one time, and there was about an hour-long program on the radio. NPR or something, and it was talking about the Amish community, and they were interviewing one of the uh, leaders of the Amish movement or the Amish religion. And he was pointing out that what a lot of people think about Amish is not true. For example, a lot of people think that they think that the automobile is a sin. And he was saying, no, the, the automobile is not a sin but he says what the automobile will do for our young people is take them out of our community into town where there is a lot of sin now think about how the automobile has changed for example dating how the automobile has changed young people whose minds may not be totally uh, mature yet but the hormones are raging And they take, you know, dating. Dating is very different today than it once was. We have to think about these things. How do these things change us? Now, we've got another technology. This is much newer. Smartphone, right? How many of you have a smartphone? Is there anybody that doesn't? Oh, you don't have to raise your hand. We all have. Oh, somebody doesn't. Okay. Uh, Smartphones. You know the, the phone is smart. Now we think because we have this that we are more intelligent today. I say, well, you probably never thought of it that way, but I think a lot of young people think, oh, I got all these wonderful technologies and all this sort of wonderful stuff. Let me tell you what this will do for you. You want to know what one thirty-two divided by eleven is? He'll tell you the answer. Do you know how to do division apart from this? Well, those of us who are older do. But young people don't have to know what 2 plus 2 is. All they have to do is, hey, Google, what's 2 plus 2? Oops, light came on. Who knows? (laughs) If I had this on, I suppose it would tell me. I mean, it's on, but it's on airplane mode. You don't have to know 2 plus 2 anymore, do you? Because it tells us everything. Now let me bring this closer to home. We have commentaries online. We have a number of things online. And as you're reading through it, we've got a hyperlink. And so it may have a scripture. And you don't have to look up that scripture, do you? All you would have to do is hover over that hyperlink. Boom, there it is. It tells you. What's there? Now, this seems like a good idea. It seems like, well, we can do it. We ought to do it. But I think this is a discussion that we ought to have here in the church. I say in the church, and not, not amongst all of us, but in other words, at headquarters. I think it's a discussion we ought to have. Are we, without realizing it, dumbing people down? Because many people only use this for their bible probably some of you now does that mean it's bad to be able to ask google a question of course not Uh, in our lunches mr ames does this all the time he asks google about something maybe one of us says something he wants to check it make sure there's nothing wrong with that but we have to understand it and we have to understand the limitations that this has Because, let me give you an example. Um, Let's go with this. One of the things that Neil Postman brought out is a mantra that you and I have probably all used at one time or another. How many of you have heard that a picture is worth a thousand words? Pretty much everybody. How many have actually said that? Picture's worth a thousand words. Okay, no sin, no problem. But what is a picture? What is a picture? A picture is an instant in time. A fraction of a second in time that's been captured of some event. And we don't know what went before. We do not know what went after that. We don't know what is on this side or that side of the picture or up or down it's an instant in time now what's the problem with that one of the most iconic pictures during the vietnam war was a south vietnamese colonel with a pistol shooting at point black range a young man and it's it's actually captured almost at the instant that the triggers pulled and you know The man is is, uh, falling away. I'm sure that most of you have seen that, at least most of us who are older. Maybe some of the younger people have not. I think it was in Time magazine or Look magazine, Life magazine, one of those. And it it became one of the rallying cries for the anti-war movement, that this awful, terrible thing that was happening there uh, in South Vietnam by the South Vietnamese soldier. Now, what it didn't tell us, It showed a man shooting another man. Uh, It showed pretty much what's going to be the result of it. But what it didn't show us is what happened before and what was not generally known at that time because it wasn't published, it wasn't what the media wanted to say. But that young man had thrown a grenade into a restaurant or a busy area killing and maiming a n- number of people just before that. Now that puts a little different light on the picture, doesn't it? But without knowing that, all you see is one man shooting this innocent looking younger fellow. A picture may be worth a thousand words in a way, but it doesn't give context to anything. While this is the age of knowledge, it is certainly not the age of understanding or wisdom. When people forget their history, they cease to know who they are. And this is what is happening in our world. We are forgetting history. just read something the other day how, at least according to one person, he feels that Germany never lost and never learned the lesson. The United States where we are, we haven't learned the lessons of history as we become, in some cases, more isolationist, as we encourage the Europeans to rearm, as we pull back from the alliances that we've had there. We've not learned the lessons of history. There are so many things that we are forgetting in our world today. In Isaiah, the first chapter, Isaiah 1 and verse 2. Isaiah 1, and verse 2, it says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. For the Eternal has spoken, I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. Verse 3, the ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know, my people do not consider. In other words, Israel during the time of Isaiah, how much more so today, have forgotten where they came from. They forgot about the Exodus. They forgot about the God who has blessed them. We have forgotten who our God is. We are beginning to worship other gods and reject God in general. Alas, sinful nation, O people, a people laden with iniquity, a brood of evildoers, children who are corruptors, they have forsaken the Lord, And they have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away backward. Why should you be stricken again, he says, verse 5? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faints. From the sole of the foot, even to the head, there's no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They've not been closed up or bound up or soothed with ointment. When we look at our world, when we look at America as an example, because I can't speak for every nation at this time, but certainly America, we, we see nothing but trouble in our world. Yes, we've got a great economy, but we have a $23 trillion debt. How, how, do, we, how do we square that? We've got lots of jobs, but we've got something that's brewing out there sooner or later is going to come back to bite us. Your country is desolate, your cities are burned with fire. Strangers devour your land in your presence, and it is desolate as overthrown by strangers. We've had a few cities burned by fire, literally fire, in Australia and Canada, the United States, out in Paradise, California. Uh, what's the one up there in uh, <clears throat> Fort McMurray in, in Canada? A place in Australia have lost parts of their cities. Certainly a lot of land. So the daughter of Zion is left as a booth and a vineyard, as a hut and a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. Unless the Lord of hosts had left us a very small remnant, we should have become like Sodom. We would have been made like Gomorrah. And he says, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. That's our world. It's interesting that the Gentiles in this world are the ones who are upset about the changes taking place more than we are. Some of the African nations, they don't put up with some of this stuff. One of the candidates for president uh, cannot get the black vote because uh, lifestyle. They just don't want they don't want that. We, we keep pushing for other countries to be like us in immorality, and not the rest, the rest of the world is not accepting it. Now, some of it is. The Israelite nations are. Some of the Gentile nations. But much of the world does not agree with our lifestyle, with what we are promoting, the culture that we have. That's one of the problems we have much of the, the uh, Islamic world. They see us going in a direction they don't want their people to go. Over in Deuteronomy 32, Deuteronomy 32, and verse 15, Deuteronomy 32, verse 15, but Jeshuram grew fat and kicked. You grew fat, you grew thick. You are obese. Then he forsook God and made him, who made him, and scornfully esteemed the rock of his salvation. We've forsaken God. We've grown fat, as it were, in terms of we have everything for us. We've got our smartphones. We've got our houses. We've got our air conditioning. We've got our cars. We have all these things. We don't need God anymore, we think, as a nation. I don't mean you and me. But this is what is coming with our nation. They provoked him to jealousy with foreign gods. With abominations they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons, not to God. To gods they did not know. To new gods, new arrivals that your fathers did not hear. It's interesting how we have more people going into the new age movement. And even veganism is a part, as I've mentioned in past uh, sermons, Is it's, it's a religion to people. They're looking for other gods. They've rejected the true God, and they're looking for meaning in life. And so they get caught up in all kinds of things. He says, uh, of the rock who begot you, you are unmindful, and have forgotten the God who fathered you. Yes, we've forgotten our Creator. In Jeremiah, the second chapter, Jeremiah 2, and verse 32. Jeremiah 2 and verse 32. It says, Can a virgin forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. Our people, our Israelitish people especially, Have forgotten God. Many of the other countries around this world never really knew God. But much of the southern hemisphere is condemning the northern hemisphere for a rejection of the God that we tried to teach them about. Granted, it was a false God, but they see certain values. The Bible. We took the Bible to some of these countries. And then we reject what the Bible says very clearly. And they're taking to the task of the Catholic Church and the Protestant world as well. Context in history, which, by the way, is the title of the sermon, Context in History, is important. When you read through the Bible... You find an interesting thing that used to bother me a little bit, because I'm a bit lazy at times, and that is that an individual would go down through the whole history in rehearsing something. As an example, Stephen, when he was before the the individuals that were going to stone him, rehearsed the history of Israel. He just went, read it there for yourself, Acts, the seventh chapter. He goes down through that history. But that's not the only place. In Psalm 78, fairly lengthy psalm, it does the same thing. Let's turn over to Psalm 105. And we'll look at this one. I don't have time for the whole psalm. It's 45 verses. But notice what it says, beginning in verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the peoples. Sing to Him. Sing psalms to Him. Talk of all His wondrous works. Now, what are His works that it's going to talk about here? It says, Glory in His holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. We sing that in a song. Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His face evermore. Remember His marvelous works which He has done. His wonders and the judgments of His mouth. O seed of Abraham, his servant, you children of Jacob, his chosen one. So it goes right back to Abraham and to Jacob. He is the eternal, our God. Verse 7. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever, looking back to the covenant that was made. He remembers his covenant forever, the word which he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant which he made with Abraham and his oath to Isaac, And confirmed it to Jacob for a statute. So it goes right back to the beginning of Israel. Now this is some, what, 500 years later? Uh, One of our scholars, I'm sure, can tell us exactly what it was. But if the Exodus took place around 1440 or thereabouts, uh, Solomon, at the temple was uh, uh, 960 or something like that. I forget the exact date, 960 I believe it was. We've come some hundreds of years, longer than the United States has been a nation. And yet, it's looking back to the beginning, looking back to the foundation. What are we doing in our world today? We're looking back to the Constitution, looking back to the founding of our nation because we are forgetting the founding of this nation. And I'm not praising and saying that everything was great about the founding of this nation. It was a democracy. It was not God's way of life. It was not the Bible. The Constitution is not the Bible. I understand that. But we as a people are forgetting where we came from. And that's in a physical sense. How much more have we forgotten where we came from when it came to the Bible? Verse 11. Saying to you, I will give the land of Canaan as the the allotment of your inheritance when you... Uh, they were few in number, indeed very few and strangers in it. When they went from one nation to another from one kingdom to another people he permitted no one to do them wrong. Yes he rebuked kings for their sake saying do not touch my anointed ones and do my prophets no harm. And, and then it goes down through here and it talks about the Exodus verse 26. He sent Moses his servant and Aaron whom he had chosen and they performed signs and wonders and and so forth. It just goes down through the history of where they came from. And this is what our people are forgetting, and we must never forget where we come from, the truths that we have. We must know where we come from. You can read in uh, Deuteronomy, the first uh, couple of verses, Deuteronomy uh, 1, verses 2 and 3. Just notice that. The whole book of Deuteronomy is a rehearsing of what happened in the laws and, and so forth after 40 years in the wilderness. Notice it says, verse 2, it's 11 days journey from Horeb by way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. And it came to pass in the 40th year, in the 11th month, on the first day of the month that Moses spoke to the children of Israel. So it was 11 days journey and it took him 40 years to make it. It's really what he's saying there. That's what he's saying. That's what he's pointing out there. And then he shows why. He goes through all these things. He says, look, when you are uh, blessed with all these things, when you have homes that you didn't build and fields that you didn't start out and plant and vineyards and all this sort of thing, don't get fat and, and self-satisfied. Don't forget the God who gave it to you. You can go down through Paul's defenses of himself in Acts, the 22nd chapter, in Acts 26. You can read Hebrews, the 11th chapter, how Paul, in that particular chapter, rehearses the people of faith, starting at the beginning and going all the way through. We read in Second Peter, the 2nd chapter, how he goes back to the angels, prehistory, you might say, or pre-Adam, and how they left their first estate. He talks about the pre-flood world. He talks about Sodom. He takes us back to those things to remind us of what the consequences are when we forget it. He tells us in Deuteronomy, the 17th chapter, that the king was to write out the book of the law and read daily from it. Now, why is all this important to us? Well, it said Google can answer 132 divided by 11. But do we understand the context of it? Do we understand how that answer is derived? I went down here this cookout burger. That's no, not here. Just uh, up the street from the office one time. And I bought a hamburger. And I had French fries and coleslaw and a soft drink. It was $5.27. So I gave the man $20, a $20 bill, and $0.27. Cents. He gave me five fives back do the math. Either you're asleep or you can't do math. I don't know which it is here. It's well, uh, I had to tell him that uh, he'd give me too much. Now, maybe, maybe things happen. I mean, we all make mistakes. But how many times have you been at a cash register where if, if it isn't exactly, it used to be that they couldn't plug that amount in, that $0.27 cents in. Now they, they're pretty good at it. it tells them what to give back but a lot of times they don't even know when it's wrong. Somebody comes up with a a figure that is so far off that anybody ought to be able to figure you you shouldn't have to do the math, but they don't know because they, they rely on whatever the machine says. It happens with statistics. It happens with everything. We rely on the machines, and we don't use our minds to ask what's happening. What is this here that's going on? Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. When I came into the truth, I started reading the booklets. A friend had, or a brother of a friend had gotten me interested. And I would read the booklets. And being lazy as I have the tendency to be, try not to be, but that's a tendency of my nature. Uh, I I noticed that every time it referred to a verse that I could count on. I could turn over there with great difficulty because I didn't know which books followed which books, but I would go to the index, and eventually you kind of get to to know the Bible that way. And so I'd look, and sure enough, it's there. Well, no need to look it up because it's there. No need to actually open up the Bible because the hyperlink shows where it is. No need. It's there. In fact, after a while, you don't even have to look at the hyperlink. You just get the the overall gist of the article. But then a couple came along, an older couple, husband and wife, and they said that the law is done away with. And they started taking things out of context in Romans and Galatians and Colossians. I think I've told you this before. And they had my head spinning. And the fellow who I found out the truth from uh, originally, I I started talking to him, he said, oh, no, that's not right. And he said, let's let's get the booklets out and let's let's look at them. And we started looking at the Scriptures again. And I began to understand some things. I, I didn't understand everything, as I've said before, but I understood enough. You know... I look back at that time, I could have fallen away at age 17. I could have. Thankfully, I didn't just happen to catch the broadcast on my own, the the radio program on my own. Thankfully, there was somebody else there who kind of held me up a little bit. Now, he was never really converted. He, you know, went to church for a while. He had his problems. But nevertheless, I'm thankful that he was there because we had to go back and we had to start reading the scriptures in the context of them. We couldn't take a snapshot. We had to find out what was the context of these scriptures. That's so important. Electronic Bibles have their place. But they can be deceptive. For those who use their electronic Bibles, do you know the books of the Bible in order? Perhaps. Do you have an overview of how the Bible is put together? You know, there's something about having something in your hands. And being able to to read through and see from one book to the next. You see, if I just look up a scripture and i don't turn to anything i can yes i can read what's before and what's after but at least on my uh, my computer if i go to the book of of numbers then i have to come out and go into the book of deuteronomy but i might not see the connection between those two books i might not for example in reading exodus the uh 49th chapter I'm sorry 39th chapter 40th chapter I'll get it right Exodus 40 see I can find it because I'm I'm passing through here Uh, Exodus 40 verse 17 it came to pass in the first month of the second year on the first day of the month that the tabernacle was raised up so that tells us at the end of the the year it's the first day of the uh, first month of the second year The tabernacle is raised up. And so I can begin to see that all of this that we have in Exodus from Exodus 12 onward is a period of one year. And then you read over in Deuteronomy at the beginning there, and it says it came past in the 40th year, the 11th month, the first day. You begin to understand that. Do you know why, for example, the book of Ruth is found where it's found? Let's go over to the book of Ruth why is the book of ruth found in the way that we the way that we have it in our king james version why is it found where it's found well it follows the book of judges and you read judges i'm sorry ruth the first chapter verse 1 it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled okay well that kind of tells you this is why it's written It's located where it is, because we've just finished the book of Judges. And instead of putting the the lesson of Ruth in the book of Judges, it's a separate book. But why else is it? If we go to the end of the book, only four chapters, it says, now this is the genealogy of Perez. And then it gives the genealogy of these various people. Verse 21, Salmon begat Boaz, Boaz begat Obed. Boaz was one of the individuals here that's so important. Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David. So it's leading up to David. What do we read in the next books? The book of 1 Samuel. Well, it introduces the first king, and then, uh, first of all, Eli and Samuel. And then the first king, and then introduces David. Before he became king. 2 Samuel is David after he became king. You get a feel for it when you have it in your hands and you can go back and forth and you see it. You know what side, of the, part of the page is on. If you only rely on electronics, yes, it'll give you the answer, but will it give you the context? It can. If you read the whole thing, the whole book and that, but I, I, there's something about it, isn't there? There is a difference. For those of us who grew up cutting our teeth on this, we, we see a difference now, we're not talking about going back to scrolls, but there's something when you've got it in your hands, there's a feel for it. How large is this book? How, you know, uh, where does it fit with the other books of the Bible? We can use these things as a tool, electronics, but don't rely on them entirely. Do we understand the point is how technology changes our lives? Changes how we think changes how we act. And sometimes it's not always the best way. It's not that technologies are bad. Mr. Armstrong always used technologies. We use them. But we have to understand the limitations of technologies. Pictures are wonderful, but we must understand the limitations of pictures if we're going to use those pictures to change the way that we think about something. The article that I wrote, Tame the Social Media Monster, March-April 2018, Tomorrow's World. I'd encourage you to go back and read that, and not just read it and say, okay, that's interesting information, but begin to think, okay, here are these individuals who've created the Internet and social media, and they're saying we've unleashed a monster. What do they mean by that? In what way have they done so? And how does that affect me? The Devil's Deadly Deceptions, March, April 2019, Tomorrow's World. Another article that would do as well to read. I would encourage you, if you haven't done so, to go on the Internet and and listen to the sermon. If you missed it here, I gave it here. but A sermon that I gave, The Serpent's Infomercial how he is playing us like a fiddle. And we've got to be not only smart enough, but spiritually mature enough to see what he is doing. He is selling something, and a lot of people, even in the church, are buying it. Satan's alternative universe was the other one I was going to mention by Dr. Meredith, July-August 2016. These articles are more than just an article to read. They are articles that we need to meditate on, that we need to think about, and we need to ask ourselves some very hard questions. How are these things affecting us? Sometimes the most dangerous of Satan's devices are the ones that are the least obvious. Pornography, we know that's from Satan. Same-sex marriage, we know that's from Satan. A hyperlink that I begin to rely on instead of actually reading in context, the whole Bible, that's a little bit more subtle, isn't it? We live in an ever-evolving world. It's easy to allow technology to mold and fashion us. So it's important to think and to meditate. It's important to be grounded in spiritual truth. Don't always take the easy way. I did for a short period of time early in life, and it could have cost me Everything. Because I was taking it the easy way. Don't allow Satan to lead you about as a bull with a ring in your nose. Because that's what he's doing with the world. Walk circumspectly. No history. No context. Especially in terms of the Bible.